Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, the title of our sermon is that it may go well with you. And our keywords are children, parents, and honor. I saw a uh, very great sign one time. It said, teenagers, tired of being harassed by your parents? Act now. Move out. Get a job and pay your own way. Quick, while you still know everything. That was me during my teenage years. Now, of course, one of the hallmarks of being a prideful know-it-all is not actually knowing that you really are. But I really was, and I couldn't wait until the first day of college so I could cram all of my stuff into my hatchback Hyundai accent and move away from home, never to return back under the roof of my parents. And that's exactly what I did, armed with plans that would change drastically in pursuit of a college degree that took much longer than anticipated to finish, and money that would be quickly frittered away with intentions that have never been fulfilled, I was off. (laughs) Wisdom did not prevail, to say the least. I knew what I wanted, and I knew that the thing that my parents wanted for me was only standing in the way. Never mind that they were financing this whole endeavor. That's not important. What's important was that I was going to be someone, and anyone who had anything to say otherwise was just trying to get me off course. I lived an hour away from my parents in college, and I think the first year I went back to their house only three times. And I can assure you it wasn't because I was studying and being a good student. It was because I had a very high view of myself, I had a very low view of how wonderful my parents actually were and are, and I had never really considered the Lord's command that I honor my father and my mother. And when I was 20 years old, the Lord had really brought me to the end of myself in this area, and I was able to communicate to my parents that I really regretted the way that I had treated them and how I didn't honor them. And we have a wonderful relationship. If for no other reason, I gave them a daughter and three grandchildren, so that really helps a lot along the way. But I will say, of all the regrets I have in my life, not properly honoring my parents throughout my teenage years is one of the biggest. Because, especially now that I'm a parent, it pains me to think about what it would be like to have my own children treat me in the way that I treated them. And this morning, as we look at our text, we recall that the Apostle Paul is dealing with the issue of authority as it concerns Christians in all kinds of different areas of life. Specifically, there at the end of chapter 5, we looked at how Paul delineates for us the roles in a marriage relationship as it reveals Christ's relationship to the church through a godly, servant-hearted husband who leads his wife with love and patience and grace and understanding and a wife who joyfully submits to and respects her husband. And we looked at verse 21 and we considered the vital importance of all Christians being reminded daily that what Christ calls us to in every relationship is to die to ourselves that we might live to the advantage of other people. And that's certainly true in marriage. And today we're going to look at how that plays out in the authority and relationship between a parent and a child. 
How ought children to respond to the authority of their parents? And how ought parents to think about the authority that they have and they hold in a child's life? And if you're a child, I hope especially that you will be listening this morning. I have a lot I want to say to our children, and I hope you'll talk about it with your parents later on this afternoon and throughout the week. And I pray that God would be working in your heart so you aren't the kind of child to your parents that I was growing up. So let's read together Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Our first point this morning is in verse 1. When children obey their parents, it pleases God. Now, Paul begins here using the same principle he used back in chapter 5 with regard to the marriage relationship. He began in verse 22, you remember, dealing first with wives, and then he went on to husbands. And here he begins with children, and then he deals with parents. And next time we'll see he begins with slaves, and then he deals with masters. And all, all of this is very methodical as Paul is writing because he's first dealing with the person who is under authority, but then he speaks to the ones who have authority, that it might be rightly used and applied, that there is good authority and not authoritarianism. And all of this should regularly be calling us back to verse 21, reminding us that a spirit-filled person is taking seriously the command that we are to be submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, my whole outlook toward other people, is that I'm dying to myself and living for their advantage, never seeking my own way, over and above the good of the other person. So that context is helpful when we read beginning in verse 1, because the command for children is not just to obey. Mere obedience is not what God is after in our hearts, and it's not what anyone should be after in their child's heart. Out of sheer personal willpower, a child can usually obey the reasonable requests of their parents. But it's never just about the actions we take, is it? The implication of what Paul is saying here is not simply for children to do what they're told, but to do so with the realization that they are under authority. And as a result of that, they realize that the authority in their life is for their good, for their benefit, and for their protection, and for their provision. So obedience can be with a cheerful, thankful heart instead of begrudging and angry and legal-heartedness. The word obey that Paul uses actually comes from two words, under and listen. Literally, it says, uh, children, listen under your parents in the Lord. So right obedience is not just about action. It also requires active listening. And if you do not really listen, you cannot really obey. And that's very difficult for children a lot of times, isn't it? 
They want to play. They want to do what they want to do. They, they don't want to have to endure another lecture from their parent. And so the way, this is why parents, as we speak with our children, we need to get down on their level. We need to ensure that they stand still and look us in the eyes and we can talk to them. And, and expect that they respond to us appropriately. We should be training our children to obey. And part of that is that we are training them to listen to what we're saying and to respond to that by doing what we're asking, knowing that it is our responsibility to make sure that they know what we're saying and it is their responsibility to make sure that they understand and follow through. And if you, children, listen, if you, if you just run off and do what you think your parents told you you were supposed to do or, or something kind of only uh, sort of the way they asked it, hoping that that will be good enough, you weren't listening to your parents' instructions and you're just sort of hearing what you want and trying to get by and not really obeying. It's not obedience to do something part way. But let's remember always what the Lord is after. Again, not just outward actions, but a right attitude of our hearts. We like to remind our children at home uh, about that reality, so we will often ask them when things aren't going quite right or we sense a wrong attitude, how are we supposed to obey? And the answer is obey right away in a cheerful way. It's an attitude of the heart that we do it right away, and we do it with the right heart. And listen, parents, it's, it's very easy to get your children to respond because they're supposed to respond, and we just say, because I said so. And we could say that about God, too. We're supposed to obey God because He said to do something. But we want to get to the heart, so that may not always be the most helpful response. We want to, we want to give reminders that this is an issue of the heart and not just an issue of outward obedience. Obedience to God for a child is obeying their parents, which means they'll listen to the instruction and they will follow through right away. And they will do it with a heart that is thankful for their parents' provision and protection and love for them. Now, I know that sounds amazing, and I wish I had some magical pixie dust we could drop from the sky onto all of our children and they would follow through with that. But remember... The heart that they have is just like the heart you had prior to being in Christ. Or if they are Christians, their heart is just like yours is now. And they're constantly fighting against the flesh that wants to not obey, but to do what they want to do. Even us, sometimes when we are told to sit in the corner... In our outward obedience, we sit in the corner while in our hearts we're saying, I'm still standing up. Children, obeying your parents means to love your parents, to think very highly of your parents, and to show them respect and consideration. It means you listen to them when they ask you to do something. You make sure you understand what they're asking for, and then you do it with a cheerful heart, and you do it right away. Parents, this means that we are addressing the heart while simultaneously demanding first-time obedience from our children. There shouldn't be any room in your conversations with them that they don't obey right away. 
lest they become self-righteous and prideful and think that they get to call the shots. It is good that children are reminded that they are under authority. And the proper response to that authority is not to always seek to find out a way through crafty argumentation and manipulation to get what they want out of it. Your children will act like criminal defense attorneys a lot of times, but they're not. Now, here's the caveat to all of that. Paul says that children are to obey their parents how? He says, in the Lord. In other words, they're to obey in the things that are consistent with Christ and His Word. As with all relationships where we are under authority, that authority ends and our obligation to submit to it ends if we are asked to do something that is morally wrong or if it is opposed to what God has commanded. Parents do not have carte blanche authority to make every kind of demand upon their children and expect obedience. The command is that all of this is done in the Lord. But I do want to be clear, the Lord takes all of this very, very seriously because it's foundational to the rest of our lives, moving forward out of childhood. Augustine once wrote, if anyone fails to honor his parents, is there anyone he will spare? According to the civil law of God throughout the Old Testament, if a man had a stubborn and rebellious son who did not obey his parents, though they properly disciplined him along the way, the parents were to bring him before the elders, to publicly denounce their son, and then the men of the city were to stone him to death. John Calvin explains the rationale behind this. It seems to be a harsh punishment to us, but here's what he says. Nature itself ought in a way to teach us this. Those who abusively or stubbornly violate parental authority are monsters, not men. Hence, the Lord commands that all those disobedient to their parents be put to death. For since they do not recognize those whose efforts brought them into the light of day... They are not worthy of its benefits. Now, I will tell you, I am personally quite thankful that Christ has died to set us free from the demands of the civil law. I would not be standing here before you today. But the guiding moral principle behind all of this remains. The civil law is firmly rooted in the fifth commandment. And it's not a laughing matter. It's not something that we just giggle about when we see rebellion, when we see a lack of obedience, and we say things like, kids will be kids. No, kids will be the kind of kids you train them to be as you work to shepherd and instruct their hearts. There's no guarantee that they're going to be Christians or that they're always going to obey out of a cheerful heart, but they can and they should be trained to honor those in authority in their lives. And that begins at home with their parents. Now, what Paul does here is he takes the fifth commandment, and he quotes that in verse 2, honor your father and mother, and he applies it to children. How does a child honor their father and their mother? They do so by obeying their parents. Now, please notice that Paul is dealing in verse 1 specifically with children. All of us, 
If we have parents, are obligated to fulfill the fifth commandment, to honor our father and our mother. And we'll look at that in verses 2 and 3. However, it is children that are to obey their parents because they are under the authority of their parents. And the application of God's commandment at that stage in their life is obedience. Now, this isn't where parents step in and say, well, my child is always my child, so I guess they always have to obey me. No, Paul here is speaking specifically to those who are classified as children. I can't give you a specific age. The Bible doesn't do that. But in the first century, actually, boys and girls became men and women far before they do today. That's sort of been extended in our culture into your 30s, it seems. But when they are in their teenage years, we shouldn't have the expectation that they're just going to keep acting like children. We should have the expectation that we've trained and disciplined them. We've provided them all the wisdom and tools that are necessary for them to be responsible adults, and we should be giving them more responsibilities, giving them more decisions to make, and more opportunities to put into actions the things we've taught them. And so that makes this idea of obeying our parents less of a necessity and a reality. However, honoring our parents is an essential part of our entire lives. So let's look at that. Verses 2 and 3. If you have parents, honor them. Again, verse 2, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. The ancient philosopher Plato wrote, on the scale of human decencies, honor of parents is second only to honor of God. Now, Plato was no godly man, but with the fifth commandment written on his heart, just as it is everyone else who's ever lived, he knew something that is universally true. Next to your relationship with God, your relationship with your parents really has the biggest impact on who you are and who you're going to be. Parents lay the first foundation. So while we do outgrow the command to obey our parents... We never outgrow the obligation to honor them. Culturally, we have a lot to learn here. Parents are not often honored and nurtured and cared for the way that they ought to be, especially when they get beyond the age and capability of being able to work and provide an income. The elderly are often shelved and patronized, uh, but not honored It's so typical anymore to find grown children who dishonor their parents, and they just sort of forget them and neglect them altogether. I remember a time when Felicia and I were with my mother-in-law, and we went to lunch with an older couple, and that couple spent the entire time saying hurtful and disrespectful and honestly very evil things about that man's mother, who was elderly and had been living with them for a while. She had dementia, and as a result, she was obviously not the same person that she had been. And after we got in the car, my mother-in-law said to us, please promise me that you will never talk to me, uh, talk about me like that. And it wasn't a year later that that man's mother died. And sadly, the last impression I had of what that man thought of his mother wasn't that he was a son who honored her, but that she was a nuisance and a burden to him. How do you think about your parents? 
Do you honor them or do you think of them as a nuisance and a burden? I have family members right now who are trying to hide their glee over the recent death of my grandparents because now they get to collect their inheritance instead of hearing updates about their health conditions. There's no honor there, which means there never was any honor there. To honor our parents means to respect them and to reverence them. It has nothing to do with your feelings. It has nothing to do with your circumstances. One writer said it well. He said, honor is the unsentimental moral nucleus of your relationship with your parents. In other words, this isn't about all the gaggy platitudes of a Mother's Day card, even though your mother loves that stuff. That's not what honor is. Honor is a decision that you make daily to treat your parents with dignity and with courtesy no matter what. And it's a decision that we make to do all that we can to provide long-term loyalty to their best interests. Remember back in chapter 5 and verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ? The way I am to honor my parents is by honoring them with my life and dying to myself daily for their benefit and for their good. Now, it is true that a lot of adult Children have manipulative, controlling, or even abusive parents. And you might be saying, well, if I honor my parents, then I will be allowing them to control me again, and I can't do that anymore. But that's not true. Remember, honor doesn't mean obedience. You don't have to do what they say. You don't have to confide in them. You do have to treat them with respect and dignity. You still have to treat them with loyalty. Quite opposite is the child who doesn't obey. They don't honor their parents by, um, by not obeying. So while adults say, I don't want to honor them because they're not worthy of my honor, children say, well, I'm obeying, I'm obeying my parents because I have to obey my parents, but I don't, I don't honor them, I don't have to be courteous, I don't have to show them respect. If I'm going to obey them, that should be enough. Well, it's not enough. And while there are different responsibilities here, the results are the same. Whether you're young, whether you're old, you must honor your parents. And so children honor their parents by obeying them with cheerful hearts. Adults honor their parents by showing them respect and reverence and serving them with their lives. You have to make that distinction. And if you don't make that distinction, and you're in a, a tough situation with your parents, your conscience is going, to, uh, is going to drive you crazy. And there are plenty of times and many reasons that you shouldn't obey your parents when they tell you certain things as an adult. What happens, for example, when your parents tell you that you're crazy for being a Christian? Or what happens if you find your parents have a distorted understanding of relationships and they give you bad counsel about your marriage and about parenting? Our tendency when we receive those things is to want to respond in one of two ways. One is self-defense. We get argumentative, we get cold, we withdraw. So when this happens, we just sort of cut them off or we belittle them and we debate with them. Or we swing to the other side and we stay completely tied to them, completely under their thumbs, and we do whatever they want us to do, however they want us to do it. 
and I assure you that most inevitably is going to cause problems in marriage as well. But the Bible is not asking us to do either of those things. Those are two wrong extremes. What does it command of us? It commands honor. All children of any age and any circumstance, regardless of who your parents are, you must honor them. What doesn't the command require? For adult children, it doesn't require obedience. Obedience to God, yes. Obedience to your parents, no. And I hope you see why the distinction is important. And the Hebrew word for honor means to make heavy or weighty or burdensome. It's the same word in Exodus 17 when Moses holds his arms in the sky. You remember he has to hold his arms up when the Israelites are battling the Amalekites. And the text says that Moses' arms grew heavy. His arms were weary. There was a great weight to them and others had to come and hold them up. And, and we, we see also this word used to describe God's glory throughout the Old Testament, the weightiness of his divine majesty. So the first thing to emphasize in the command is, is heaviness. In other words, give weight, give heaviness to the words and the worth of your parents. As an adult, you may not have to obey them, but you should listen to them. And you should consider what they have to say. It also means that we give them the recognition that they deserve as they're in their God-given place in our lives. So they are worthy of our respect. They're worthy of our high esteem. But let's not get too far away from who Paul is writing to here. He's dealing specifically with children. And I want our children to listen. God commands that you obey and honor both of your parents. And I want to be really clear that that what this means is that you not try to go to one parent and get them to say something when the other parent has told you no. That you're not trying to have one favor you over the other. You need to treat both of your parents with equal respect because God has given both of your parents equal authority in your life. Sometimes we see children who treat their parents differently. Or they have varied levels of respect for each parent. And parents, we are often the ones who kind of feed into this. Dads, when your daughter asks you to do something that mom has already forbidden, do you undermine her authority? Moms, do you tell your sons that their father is irresponsible or irrational or disregard his discipline? Parents, do you keep secrets with your children from your spouse. I hope you see what happens in all of that. I hope you see what you're doing in the midst of all of that. You're undermining the other parent's authority with your children. You're teaching them to have greater respect for you than the other person. In essence, you're buying their respect and their affection by giving them permission to take your husband or your wife lightly and not with great weight. We have to insist that they honor our husband or our wife, which means to give great weight to them. And so dads, we should be saying things to our children like, listen to your mother, or do what your father has asked you to do. And God gives a promise that Paul repeats here in verse 3. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Now, of course, sometimes children 
will have shortened lifespans, not because they didn't honor their parents, but for all sorts of different reasons. This isn't an ultimate maxim of truth, but it's a general rule that children who obey and honor their parents will live longer and more fruitful lives. Common sense will prove this. A child who obeys his parents will regularly be warned of danger he can avoid with uh, listening to the experiences of their parents, the instruction of their parents. Think of all the things that you got into as a child because you were disobeying. You could have saved in your life all sorts of um, disasters. You could have saved yourself from all sorts of heartache and, and pain and maybe regrets that you even have today. Obeying parents as children will spare us from, oftentimes, from bad habits or bad friends which may attempt to creep into our lives and to harm us. Obeying parents as a child works to develop healthy character instead of harmful traits. Proverbs 4.10 says, Listen, my son, accept what I say, and the years of your life will be many. So children, I want to ask you a question. Are you obeying and honoring your parents? And if you're not, why not? You will only ever have these parents. So what are you doing to make the best of that relationship? Pay attention to them. Obey them. Honor them. And realize that God has given you a great promise. That when you do that things are going to turn out well for you. Your parents love you. And I know this, not only because I know almost all of your parents, but because they have you here right now. They love you enough to bring you to hear God's Word and to make sure you're exposed to the worship of God. They are concerned not just with your physical body, but also with your soul. And that's all very important for you. And your parents do that because they love you. So don't reject that, but honor them and obey them because they have your best intentions in mind. But let me remind you of something that I've said already. God's greatest concern, again, is not your actions, but your heart. And if your heart is right, your actions will follow. You can do the right thing with the wrong heart and it still be sinful. And if you don't know and trust and believe in Jesus Christ, if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, you won't be able to do any of this, really. You may think you're honoring your parents by doing what what they want, but what they really want is for you to hear the gospel, to believe on Christ, to repent of your sin, and to walk faithfully with Jesus. That's what your parents want. And until that happens, none of this is going to be a reality in your life. You continue to rebel. You will continue to store up anger in your heart. You will continue to try to do everything by your own will instead of dealing with your heart. And listen, children, your parents are giving you all that is necessary that you might have everlasting life with Christ. What excuse do you have and are you raising in your heart that you would not trust in Christ? You have far more just in being here this hour and hearing these things that many children have throughout the world. You get to hear the gospel. You get to see people worshiping God. You get to see all of this played out in front of you week after week and in your homes day by day. And you will be held responsible for that before God. So what are you trusting in? 
When you die and stand before God, what are you going to tell him about what you heard but maybe did not believe? I hope you think about that, and I hope, parents, you will talk to your children about that today because God's greatest desire is that their hearts are obedient, not just to you, but more importantly to Him. And obedience to Him is that they have faith in Christ and repent of their sin. So that's the question we need to be asking. How is the heart? Now, before we end, remember Paul always gives instruction to those who are in authority. So our final point this morning in verse 4 is that fathers should be disciplining and instructing their children in the Lord, not inciting them to sin. The first thing that should stand out to all of us right away is that this is not American-style parenting that Paul is talking about. What do I mean by that? Well, the average household in America in 2016 would read this as saying, fathers... Tell your children that they can do whatever they want and be what they want to do, uh, be what they want to be if they try hard enough. And mothers, bring up your precious snowflakes who learn what and how they want to learn. Don't force anything on them. Right? That's our culture. But contrary to modern wisdom, the first thing that is glaringly different that then what we see all around us is that Paul's instruction is aimed at whom? Not mothers, not even parents collectively, but fathers. Why? Because, as we discussed last week, fathers have the primary role in leading their family spiritually. And in this case, in discipline and in discipleship. Now, he can delegate some of that to his wife, but he is the one who will be held responsible. Now, Paul deals with three aspects of fatherhood here. The first is he says, do not provoke your children to anger, or wrath, your version may say. Make sure you're reading that correctly. He's saying, do not provoke your children to anger. That doesn't mean don't do anything that might make your children angry. Your goal is not to make sure that they don't sin in anger, and sometimes the things that you rightly require of them will lead to them being angry because of the sin in their hearts. Despite what we've often been told, our children are not frail little daisies that cannot be offended in any way, lest we hurt their feelings and they need to run off to a safe space. The whole reason people are always concerned about being offended and needing a safe space to run off to is because their parents refused to do anything ever that would lead to their sinful child doing what sinful children do and get angry. However, Paul is addressing an important matter here. Remember, he gives instruction to those who are in authority to challenge them to not turn this to being authoritarian, which is an abuse of authority. There are numerous ways in which we might provoke our children to anger, and it is ungodly to do so. One of them is to not provide them with discipline and training in the Lord. Another is by making them the center of attention and centering our homes on them. Well, how is it that that would incite anger or um, uh, sin within their hearts? Because the first time that they don't get what they want when they've been raised to assume that they will always get what they want, they will grow angry in their hearts very quickly, and they will despise you because of it. 
Sometimes we can provoke anger when we're constantly finding fault in our children, expecting perfection, demanding things in their lives uh, that are unrealistic and not letting them learn from their mistakes and mess up just like you do. We can incite anger within them by embarrassing them in front of their, uh, in front of their siblings or their peers. Or incessantly teasing our children and constantly being sarcastic with them and never being serious with them. Failing to keep our promises. Showing favoritism to another child. Employing training methodologies that are contrary to God's word. Fathers, we must be very careful about these things. And oftentimes we've let moms handle all of these things with our children and she may, she may very well uh, be well-meaning and thinking she's doing what's best for your kids, but you need to be involved and you need to be wise and biblical in your thinking and recognize when something is not consistent with the biblical principles. It may be very small things like how you respond to a child when they cry for something they cannot have and they start to get whiny and they throw a fit about that. How are you going to respond to that? And how are you going to discipline in the midst of that to deal with the rebellious heart? I'll tell you, in my life, parenting is an area more than most that I'm constantly having to think, how does the Bible inform me to respond right here? There will always be things that rise up where we need to answer that question. We need to understand our children. We need to know their makeup and how to parent them as individuals. I have one child that I will always have to be very, very clear with when it comes to communicating grace because her tendency is to beat herself up and weigh herself down with the law. I have another child that needs constant reminders of the law because she lives her life hoping that grace actually means she can do whatever she wants. I have a third child that I actually think is a terrorist that has been planted in our family to infiltrate America and take us all down. Each of them needs to be parented differently. And if we aren't mindful of that, the things that we do with one of them might, be, might not be helpful and productive for the other one in the same way. And it might actually provoke anger in one and be really helpful in the other. So we need to know them and understand them. Well, Paul also says that we need to bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. This goes back to last week, again, of the husband's responsibility to be a spiritual leader in his home. The word for discipline implies that this happens even by punishment. Pilate used the same word that Paul does when he said of Jesus, I will punish him and then release him. Let me be as clear as possible. I can't say it any clearer than this. Parents, spank your children. It's good. It's right. It is important. It is necessary. Proverbs 13.24 says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. And Proverbs 19.18 says, Discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. Now, that's not fun. That's not pleasant. But it is necessary. It's biblical. Our children are giving amazingly resilient backsides for that very purpose. And contrary to what the world wants to tell us, it's appropriate and it is for their good. It is for their benefit. It drives out foolishness from their hearts. 
And to do otherwise isn't to love and nurture them like is assumed, but the Bible says it's to hate them. Now, we're reminded in Hebrews, and this goes for parents just as much as it does for children, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. Discipline produces practical righteousness. It also produces peace and well-being and wholeness. It is appropriate and good and right. Well, lastly, we're told to bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. And the word instruction means to place before the mind. Clear, forthright instruction is necessary for proper upbringing. This takes time, it takes thought, and today everyone seems short on time and very few people know how to think. But this has always been the God-given way of training our children. Back in Deuteronomy 6, in what's called the Shema, God commands parents to be giving formal instruction to their children, always looking for opportunities to instruct them in the things of God. When you rise up, when you lie down, when you walk along the way, that we're talking about God, we're talking about what He has done, what He is doing. They need to see the God of creation, the God of power, the God of knowledge, the God of wisdom, the God of artistic beauty, and on and on. We need to be pointing these things out to our children. And so the final picture we get here is that of parents who are working to discipline and train their children in love. And when that's happening, what you'll begin to see is children who are honoring and obeying their parents. Solid discipline, clear instruction, all wrapped up in nourishing tenderness. Notice that we're told to bring them up in the training instruction of the Lord. And parents, when you are looking to God's Word and seeking to employ all of this in your children's life, what what an encouragement it is to us that we're told that the Lord stands behind all of this. He stands behind our instruction. He stands behind our discipline. And He ministers through us and through His Word to our children. The raising of godly children can seem an eternity when you're in the middle of it. But when it's over you see that it was just a very quick season in your life. Growing up seems to take forever when you're 10 or 12 years old, but when you're 40, it seems like just a few days ago. Whatever your current perspective on time, we need to understand that childhood is, in many ways, a time when lives are made and broken. It's a really important time in life. Children should live out God's direction so they can embrace life to the fullest in God. They ought to covenant to obey their parents in the Lord, to honor their father and mother that it may go well with them that they might enjoy life upon the earth. Fathers and all parents, do not exasperate your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And your home will be a refuge for children and parents alike. When godliness and honor are valued and upheld as some of the crowning jewels of your family in the Lord. Well, this morning we have to admit that we're not always honoring our parents as we ought. And as children, we haven't always obeyed as God desires. And as parents, we've not always raised our children without provoking them to anger. We've not always disciplined and instructed them properly in the Lord. We all fall short, very short sometimes. And in each of those areas... We can praise God that we don't come before God on a daily basis 
based upon our ability to keep these instructions perfectly. Because Christ has already done so on our behalf. 